Good morning. It's really good to have you here at Fellowship, and uh, I want to call your attention as we begin in the Word, but I just want to call your attention before that to a blaze orange insert in your bulletin. It's not to celebrate the start of deer hunting, but it is It is to remind you of a very important date coming up, and that's October 15th, and it's ShareFest. We do ShareFest every year. It's something we've done for a long time now. And I need you, if you're not signed up for it, to make time for it and sign up for it and hand this in today, just so that we can uh, know where everybody's going to go. We're going to be assigning people to the right school. ShareFest is a one morning, one time a year event where we can move out of the walls of this church and love our community, no strings attached. And uh, it's just something we do as a church. If you're part of this church... Sign up for ShareFest. It is, I, I cannot tell you from a, from a pastoral perspective how many doors this has opened for us in our community. How many opportunities this has given our ministries an opportunity and our people to love people in this community. It builds trust in our community. It builds an appreciation. People do not have to believe like we do, okay, to, to appreciate ShareFest. It, it's, it's a picture of uh, so many bridges being made from the church to our community. And uh, sign up this year has been a little slow. And the reality is, is we've been very aggressive in it. And we have 10 schools that we're going to be serving at. And we need more people to sign up. So please take the time to fill this out. Put it in the offering plate or take it back to the information center before you leave today and uh, and hand it in. And in case you have some of the equipment listed there, I just like saying this, the skid steer loader, got one of those? You got to say it that way. I said it that way last night in the seven o'clock service and someone working in nursery said, I have one of those. I have one of those. I can come. I can do that. Anything else you need? What, what else do you need? Well, who would have thought that it's excitement came from the skid steer loader, but it did. And uh, we need you to come sign up for that and, um, and be a part of, of what God is doing through us in our community. Again, I want to remind you to go and get an L3 journal if you haven't yet done that. L3 journal is part of uh, getting our whole congregation into a daily time with the Lord in His Word. And uh, there, there are loads of plans for you to get into the Word, but this is our plan. And it's a plan that is reaping incredible amount of of transformation in the lives of people. Some people who've only opened up the Bible in church are now opening it up at their homes or, or where, they're, where they're working and they're growing, not on company time, obviously, but, but they're getting into God's word and, and it's, it's changing their lives. And it's not too late to get connected. So if you don't have one of these, make sure you buy one at the uh, information center. And just get into the Word on a daily basis. We're using this as our format even to get into the Word in our small groups and then even in being challenged on, on our weekends. So if you go through the book of John in your L3 journal, I'm going to be talking about what you went over in that week so that we can all be aligned and have momentum as a church because we ultimately want to be about transformation. And we want you to thrive in your walk with Christ, not just survive. And so in order to do that, we've got to get connected into the word and got to be, we have to be growing into it where God, through his spirit, deepens our faith and our trust in him. 
And uh, that's why we're here, because the book of John is all about you believing, you're be- you believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's what John uh, describes the whole purpose for the writing of this book in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 6, verse 60, where we join a a very tense moment in the life of Christ. Jesus is revealing who he is. And uh, he's teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. And this is right after he fed the 5,000, which ultimately, with women and children, 15 to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. We talked about that last week. And the people are, are wondering who he is, and they wanted to come and take him by force and make him their king. But Jesus said, no, that's not why I came. So he evades them. And then he goes and he teaches at a synagogue in Capernaum, and he says, I am the bread of life. Do you see the connection? His incredible supernatural miracle moved into a proclamation, a claim of who he was. It was one of the great I am statements in the book of John. And it said, he said, I am the bread of life. And they said, okay, verse 34 of chapter 6, give us this bread. Always, always, we want you. Like the woman at the well, give me some of this water that you're talking about. And Jesus said in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not go hungry, shall not go hungry. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so they were going, wait a minute, what is he saying about himself? And those who were corrupt in religion, the Pharisees were going, what? Can the Messiah come out of Galilee? What's he talking about here? The people were saying, who is he claiming to be? And he really throws them for a loop in verse 54 when he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is one of the statements in that Jesus makes that we just want to step back as they did and go, what are you talking about? Sorry to borrow the different strokes term here, but... But that's the whole picture. What are you talking about? And there was a theology that's come from this that actually believes that when you celebrate communion, that the elements actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. So Jesus dies over again. And, and it, it, by taking communion, you, you have the forgiveness of sins because that is applied to you. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's, a, that's a, the, the wrong picture of this passage. He was speaking figuratively, but it threw them for a loop. And it, it called their faith to question. And it's in that environment that verse 60 begins. Listen to this. He says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not take offense at this. Do uh, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. And he, said, and, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he uh, was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, let me unpack this because it appears frustrating. And it appears like we don't understand what exactly Jesus is talking about. Even after he's, he died and resurrected, we're trying to figure out what this passage truly is saying to us. It was something that took everyone by surprise. And as Jesus is, is being presented to us as the Messiah, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, there was a progression. There were three responses. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. He was a wise response to it. There were uh, people who questioned him. What are you talking about? Where did, what do you mean by this? This is frustrating. This is hard. And they didn't necessarily buy it. And they were questioning. They were people who were just trying to figure it out with their own minds. And then there were those who were corrupt. And they were evil. And they were out to eradicate Christ. To kill him. Well, it comes down to what happens. What happens when Jesus isn't who you think he is? What do you do when Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do? That's the question of this passage. You see, the crowd wanted to come and make him a king. The crowd wanted to move them for their agenda. And Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. What do you do when Jesus doesn't do what you want him to it causes some other questions to come up. Do we really know Jesus for who he is or rather who we think he is? Will we really allow him to be who he is in our lives or, or, or rather who we want him to be in our lives? How much do we need to understand about Christ before we truly trust him? This is a hinge in the book of John. It's a hinge in our faith and it's a hinge in our walk with Christ. And what I want to show you is that there's three responses we can have when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do. And the first one is detailed in verse 66. They walked away. They walked away when he made no sense to them. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now we could come to Jesus and say, do this for us. Be this for us. Okay this for us. Bless us for this. Answer our prayers according to our wills. And when he does not... We don't understand and we get angry and we lose faith. We get frustrated. We get disinterested and we walk away. Why do we walk away? Well, we walk away because there's an underlying belief. And I'm just going to say it, that Jesus is our slave. Jesus is here for us. If we believe that, that he is here to promote my purpose, to bolster my little dream and to do what I ask him to do, then we're going to walk away from him when we really see him for who he is. 
If he's here for us to make life comfortable, to make life more easy, to give us more perks and prosperity, where Jesus is here to make me healthy, wealthy, and to be loved by all, we're going to be let down when he really calls us to respond to who he is. And it's a fear. It's a fear that we have of of Jesus calling us to suffer. We have a fear of suffering. And that's what we pray as we do. Because we say, you know, why? I don't want this to happen. We fear suffering. We fear bad days, things going wrong, the economy diving, challenges for our health with our children, in our marriages, in our relationships. And when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do, we go, forget it. Forget it. I'm I'm walking away. There's a second response that we give. And that's we worship him. You can walk away or you can worship him alone. Look what Simon Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him and he answered the great question that Jesus said to them. Now now catch this. Let me just set the scene. You had as many as 20,000 people 24 hours before this. And, And then he's teaching to a crowd, just packing, just standing room only kind of environment. And then you say something that truly reveals who he is. And everyone leaves. So as Jesus and the disciples see the backs of the heads of people leaving, he looks to them and says, do you guys want to leave too? You want to leave too? Simon Peter, I love this response. It's so innocent. You know, he, he suffers with open mouth insert foot syndrome so much of his life, but he really calls it here. He says, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's it. That's worship. That's not worry. That's worship at a time he does not know what's going on. Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, you think about that. He was saying, if I don't have you, I don't have it in my life. There are a lot of options we can choose with when it comes to Jesus. We can choose ourselves and our own minds and our own rationale and our own thoughts. We can choose the people around us and our friendships and what they know and their encouragement in our lives when we don't understand what's happening. We can, we can look to a system to try to explain it. We can look to a political agenda to save us. When, and that's exactly what these little things become. They become our personal saviors. But when we worship him, when we don't understand him, then we're saying Jesus is my savior. That's what we're saying. We're saying Jesus is my savior. The underlying belief is that. That you're all we have, as Peter says. And that's what worship should be. Worship should be us reaching out for a God we don't fully understand. We understand him some, but we'll never understand him all. And not because we have them all figured out do we worship him, but because we believe and we want to know him more. Worship is an invitation to engage Christ with our faith, to trust him and to grow in him. If you're waiting to figure out Christ until he answers all your questions or before you understand everything about him, you're going to be lost. 
Just look at the perspective of the book of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple of all the money exchangers. And then he says, hey, you guys tear down this temple. Three days I'll build it up. And they go, whoa, what do you mean? Three days you'll go. It took us 46 years to build this temple. And the disciples didn't even understand him. We're called into trying to understand an infinite mind with a finite little human, you know, spongy, material-brained mind. And we have to we have to realize he is my savior. He's my God. He's not someone I manipulate. He's not someone I totally understand and can control. He's not someone I can consume. He's not someone I can, you know, kind of manipulate. God just says no to that. You cannot and will not and and, uh, will not do that to me. There's no reward for faith in trying to control him. Worship. When you worship there, you just worship yourself. You can try to figure him all out. Just look in the mirror. That's who you're worshiping. Someone contained by your mind in the construct, in the, the images, in the, the picture that you're making of him, not the picture of who he really is. And Jesus says, you will have no other gods before me. I love it how Paul breaks into worship in Romans 11. Turn there with me real quick. Because it's just a fascinating passage. Here Paul is trying to explain the mystery of God, his sovereign plan for the ages of calling people to him, of redeeming their lives. And in probably one of the most complex theological treaties he writes in the book of Romans, he comes out and almost just crescendos in worship, even though he doesn't understand it all. He says in verse 33 of Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Verse 34 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul didn't figure him out, but he worshipped him. He worshipped him. We're called into doing this. And I love it. Just look at this. Look at, the, look at the progression of Peter's proclamation of whom else shall we go. He says, he says, verse 69, and we have believed and then we've come to know. See, that's what faith is. It's believing before you fully know. It's trusting when you don't have all the facts. When you don't have all the information. And that's what it, we're, we're called into. Is that we're called to trust him before we can fully know everything about him. When you don't understand, believe first. You, you definitely can know some stuff about Jesus. And that's why the, the scriptures are really clear in the historical fact of Jesus. And so we don't check our, our minds and our brains at the door. When we come to Christ, we can see him. The scriptures is a logical, systematic approach of telling us who Christ is based on historical fact. But when things happen in your life where you have no idea what he's doing, obviously you're going to have to be a person of faith and trust him. You know so much about him, but you don't know everything about him, but you'll trust him when you don't understand it. Because here's the fear that, that Paul had. He had a fear of separation. Here's this Peter, excuse me. Peter had that fear of separation of where else can we go? Where else? 
If I don't have you. He saw that so, so close to who Christ is that he couldn't view it. If, if, if you're not it, we're lost. That's how we need to be when we don't understand it. We need to be that desperate for Jesus. If you're not it, I'm out. I don't know. So we have the option of walking away when we don't understand him. We have the option of worship. And let's continue to follow the progression of this passage. We have the option of warring against him. We can war against him. And that's exactly what you have here. In verse 70, Jesus answered them and said, Did I not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is a key picture. Uh, and, and he doesn't just stop with Judas, then he moves to a broader audience, those who were corrupt in religion. In verse 1 of chapter 7, he says he went about in Galilee, but he wouldn't go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So you have two pictures of people who, who fought against Christ. There's the foolish who walk away. There's the wise who worship. And then there's the evil who reject the truth and try to eradicate it and destroy the truth. And they try to kill Jesus. And that's, this is the picture of Jesus. The underlying belief on this is that Jesus is a threat to me. He's a threat. He's not my slave. He's not my savior. He's a threat. He's a threat to everything about me. And scriptures are going to really confront us on this. There will be a time when Jesus will be a threat to your way of life. Get used to it. This is God. We are sinners. We all are. And there's going to be a time when you're living outside of what God's vision is for your life. Get used to it. This is something a loving parent, a loving father does for their children. He calls them back into that vision. But when you don't want him, when he's not who you want him to be, when, when you fear surrendering to him, which is, which is that fear that we have of why we war against him, we fear surrender. Because we fear losing something that we value more than he is. Whether it's life on our own terms, a dream, a drug, less than a best relationship for us. As long as this is going to happen, as long as Jesus is a threat to my way of life, we will never surrender and we will war against him. We will fight against him. So let's unpack these because this is where we are. This is where each of us are. There are things in which we agree with Christ on and we gladly give our lives to him and we worship him alone. And there are other things where we do not understand him, that we question him. And some of us are walking away from him because he makes no sense to us. And some of us are fighting against his control in our lives. And we need to deal with it because we want to grow in our faith. We want to thrive in our walk with him. Uh, Frankly, you do not want to fight against God. Trust me, you'll lose. You really don't. And the, the reality is, is it really comes down to this statement. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? Or is he just another good man? 
if he's God, then we need to allow Christ to be God in our lives. Not a tool that's useful for us. Not a a person to advance our power, to advance our agenda or dream, but to worship him. Worship him as our savior, whose vision we're invited to be a part of. A grand, huge scale, awesome, wonderful, humbling vision that the God of the universe says, now come in, enjoy this. Be part of this vision, not your little dream. My vision for you. That when you can get your mind around such a great vision, you would embrace suffering to advance it. Just like the New Testament church did. If you could really get a picture of the greater purpose of of Christ, then you'd be willing to sacrifice whatever you have that is in your being to leverage to advance it. And with such a great future with Christ... You would be willing to worship him at every opportunity, to look forward to it, to seek his perspective, to fear whatever life would be like without him in this trial. Where are you today? Are you warring against him? I mean, my key, key angle to this is, how's that working out for you? To fight God on what's going on in your life. There'll be a huge frustration with it because I've tried it. And although you cannot quantify peace, you sure long for it. Even though you cannot manufacture hope, you sure try to live with it in the scope of your life. Even though you can't explain true love, you sure know when it's not given to you and you sure know when you're not giving it to others. That's why you have to come down. One of the Greatest representatives of one who fought against Christ and warred against him is the Apostle Paul. And through coming to the reality of who Christ was when he really let Christ be Christ in his life, you see someone going from someone warring to someone who's worshiping. There's hope. As long as you have breath, put down the weapons of fighting against God and trust him again. Trust him. Some of us have walked away. We don't understand him, so we walk away. And let me just be honest about this. We don't do this in a lot of places in our lives. We don't understand it. You know, if you're in college and uh, on the first day of class, let's say you've got organic chemistry, and first day on class, your professor goes, here's the final exam, take it. What would you say? Unfair. He goes, that's what you're going to be accountable. That's why you're in this class, to know this stuff. Boom. Take it, finish it, pass it, or you're out. You'd freak out. That's unfair, right? So when God doesn't give you the final exam on the first day of your pain, but he says, this is, this is lesson one on a course I'm taking through, are you willing to learn? Or you just want to walk away? You wouldn't do that in school. You stay and you go to class, right? Do you understand it all? No, but you keep going. Why? Because each day is an opportunity to learn from the master teacher of your life. And here's the thing you can't do. You cannot connect the dots looking forward. It's impossible. So if one of you come here and say, and and it stinks. I lost my job this week. It stinks. I cannot say to you, well, here, I know why you lost your job. And this is what God's going to do with it. And you shouldn't be upset because God's going to do this. No, we're here at the present 
We're looking forward and we're going, I have no idea. That's exactly what I'd say to you. I have no idea why you lost your job. It doesn't seem fair. It stinks. But we're not going to walk away. We're going to worship. How can you connect the dots? Look back. Look back. By the way, the scripture is a big lesson in that. You connect the dots looking back, not looking forward. Because the scripture, about 85% of the word of God is the narrative. It's people just like you and me who had some understanding of God, but not a full understanding. But they were willing to worship him and trust him, even though they didn't know everything he was doing. And we learn from that. We learn to trust and we learn to grow through a trial and through suffering. We don't walk away. And I want to just ask you, if you've trusted the Lord in the past, look back. Look back to the time, like me, when I was in college and it was my senior year. And I literally stunk at accounting. I did. Some of you are account, accounting majors. Or accounting in, 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 God bless you. God bless you. I was not one of them. Or you. And I just stunk and I didn't make it. And I remember not necessarily failing out, but just realizing this is not my calling. And I felt, God, what are you doing in my life? Don't you understand me? I was since a sophomore year in college or in high school, I wanted to be in accounting. And now my dream is dashed. Do you know what you're doing? 2011. I'm preaching on a Sunday morning and I'm taking the word of God and I'm, I'm sharing it with believers who are going to take this and go and explode and be scattered in their world, sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. There is nothing better I could do. Nothing better in my life. Nothing more wonderful than the, the task I'm doing right now for the kingdom of God. Has nothing to do with accounting God's will for everyone. No, that's, no, don't go there. I am so thankful right now for that failure. I am so thankful right now that God said, no, Joe, not that. There was relationships I had that I was really ticked when she said, can we just be friends? (laughs) 2011, I'm not. I'm looking back saying, thank you for just being a friend with me. Because I, I married up, folks. I really did. There's no question in my mind. God was working through all those. But I didn't understand it then. The final exam was not given to me then. And then there are going to be some really huge times in your life. Just tremendous pain where we can't figure it out. And even today, we don't know why it happened to us that we trusted. But I just want to say... Let's just look, because we look, we have the greatest hope as the family of believers in the person of Jesus Christ, that someday when we meet him face to face, he'll turn us back and he'll say, look, look what I was doing. Look who came to Christ. Look how the story that had been going throughout the ages of suffering and pain and hurt in a broken, mixed up world promoted the glory that can never be stopped through me. It was worthy You were worthy. I chose you to suffer for my glory. And we will look back. And we will have an awareness we never had here. I saw a video that just cut to my heart this week. It was a a woman named Sarah, Sarah Sherman, who was born deaf. And due to a new 
device, a medical uh, uh, device that's not in the inner ear like a cochlear in, implant, but a mid-ear implant. It's brand new. It, it's called the Esteem, the little gadget. And it was put in her middle ear. And this week, at 29 years of age, she heard for the first time. The first time in her life. I want to share that video with you. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. <laughs> what does it sound like? Someday, when you will stand before Christ and he has you look back, you'll hear his voice through that. Your ears will be open to what he was doing. Your eyes will, will see what he was doing. So when you don't trust him now or you walk away, you miss out. You lose the opportunity to worship someone you want to bow down in front of and worship. He's God. He's God. Wherever you're at, you're going to have a God who's going to explain it all to you someday. Will you trust him now? It comes down to that. If he's God in your life, you will. Where else can we go? To whom do we have but Christ? Let's pray. Just in this quietness, as we prepare our hearts, um, it's been a good... We've been cut by scripture today, and it's been more like a surgeon. It hasn't been like a thief. You have someone who wants to work healing in our lives, and that person is Jesus. And he's asking us, even though we don't understand him, even though we don't understand what's happening in our lives right now, will we be willing to trust him, to worship him alone? So whatever you don't understand, I'm going to ask you to exercise your faith in trusting him and worshiping now. Whatever it is you don't understand that's happening in your life, whether it's a person, whether it's an experience, whether it's a trial, an issue, a health issue, or emotional issue, if you don't understand, would you just by faith picture yourself taking that thing and just lifting it up to the Lord and worshiping you with that? To say, this is something, where else do I turn with this but you? And worship him. I trust you, Lord, with this. Name it to him. Name what you don't understand. I trust you with it.
Heavenly Father, we are your children. You are our loving Father. And we come to you today not having it all figured out, not trying to make you our slave, not being threatened by you, but calling you our Savior and uh, inviting you to work in our lives. We trust you with these things. Now, as we trust you, Heavenly Father, just on behalf of everyone here, I pray that you would be grace, you would be kind, you would be good as we trust you. We trust you, and you are good. So would you work in our lives and build a greater appetite for you, a greater trust and dependence when we don't understand you? And Lord, we look forward to a time when we can look back and connect the dots with you whether it's on this earth or face-to-face in heaven with you. And right now, we say your glory will not be stopped. We will give you glory. Work in our lives. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.